take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. So, uh, back to the podcast here, and very excited to bring on my next guest. Um, she's an actress, a comedian, a writer, a producer, a director. Trish Renoni, did I miss anything? And how do you keep up with regular life with all those titles? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I am, I, like, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm dating, but I'm not married or anything. And I don't have kids. Mm. So I feel like that's um, maybe a big part of it. I'm in my 30s and I didn't, you know, I, I don't really have a huge balance but i'm trying to get more balance right so, that's, a, yeah. that's an interesting way to put it you're testing the water seeing seeing what you like and um, what fits best yeah i always want to try new things this week i'm trying to play the keyboard i'm learning that i am not musically gifted but i would love to be a country singer so i'm giving it a shot <laughs> so I to just try new things and um, never say you're too old or that you don't have time. Just fit it in and figure it out. That's good. Well, just before we jumped on and talking off air and you were giving me the pronunciation of your last name and you started singing the new Lady Gaga song. Um, that was a pretty good voice. So I think you're onto something there. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Yes. So I'm very happy the new song Rain On Me sounds like she's saying rain on me, rain, rain, rain on me. Um, because people often think my last name because it's spelt rain one is rain one. And now I can just sing that to them and hopefully they'll remember it's rain only, rain, rain, rain only. <laughs> so if, that's, if this is your public singing de debut, I think we were on to something here. Um, I was, I was always terrified. I skipped drama class the day I had to sing a solo in high school. So I think this was the singing debut. Is there a particular area? So, I mean, now you're pretty much encompassed in all these different areas of, of entertainment. Is there, I mean, I know you, you're saying you're trying everything, but is there somewhere that you kind of maybe gravitate towards more that, that you enjoy, brings you more pride, more joy, anything like that? Definitely writing. I've always kind of been a silent writer and always wrote in journals or wrote poems. Um, or just vented my feelings in journals throughout high school. And I feel like that's kind of how I got through. So writing screenplays came naturally to me and I do find a lot of humor in everyday situations. So the writing is definitely what I love doing the most because I feel like it can be a solo venture. You can do it anywhere. You can see the progress. Um, you can build a good team and kind of realize how to build a story together. So there's a lot of, yeah, it's definitely the writing that really attracts me. And the thing I like about stand-up comedy is the writing aspect and the mm -hmm. writing the jokes beforehand and looking at the things that happened in your life that week and being like, okay, how can I make this into something funny? Because it might not have been funny when it happened, but there's a lot of humor in, I think, everyday situations, so. Right. So how long have you been doing stand-up? Only since about, I tried it a few times in maybe late 2018, um, mm. maybe early 2019. And then it was really cold out and I was in Toronto. It was freezing. I was going to bars across the city 
on the subway to save money and I would get home late and I thought, I like sleep, so maybe this isn't for me. And you would think back afterwards and be like, I wasn't funny. But then because of COVID and staying at home, I saw a posting on a website um, for female creators called Who Ha Ha, it's Elizabeth Banks, who's behind it. Oh. And I, so I'm a member of that site and I saw a job posting, for, or I, not like a, a posting for a collaboration and for stand-up comedians. And I thought, okay, this is the time to get back into it because I can do it from home. So right. I've been doing a bunch of shows now over Zoom or some of them are pre-recorded and you send in the, the sets. So it's been a lot of fun and I've, yeah, I've been having a great time with it. Right. That's, a, that's interesting. Um, you know, I listened to a couple podcasts with comedians um, and they have talked about the Zoom podcast and how, how it's different and they would never try it because you don't get that intimacy with the audience or, you know, you, it, you're kind of just shouting to the void and, and not getting any of that energy back. How is that like, I, I know you said enjoy it. Like how much, how difficult is it to try to like be funny on Zoom, but then you, you don't hear anything back? I can't believe how nervous I have been doing the shows. The ones that are pre-recorded, I have no problem. I do a lot of auditions from home too. So you record it at right. home, you send it off. It's the same sort of situation. When you get an audition in person, it's terrifying. And when you're over Zoom, it is terrifying a little bit because first of all, you, yeah, you don't have that um, in-person connection with the audience, but you are aware that they're there and you can kind of see a number of how many people are streaming in. But there's sometimes a delay with the laughter oh. or they don't want to laugh because they think they're gonna interrupt you. So you really do have to, um, pause and hope for laughter and then last night in the show the host of the show wanted to test on me um, muting everyone so that the laughter wasn't cutting in or people making sound in their rooms wasn't cutting in and interfering and taking because I know on zoom when someone makes noise it shows their video so he was like let's try it so that it's just on you and we don't have any interruptions but then when I was doing my set the entire time, there was no laughter because everyone was muted. So I was like, I don't know if anyone's laughing at all. I don't know what jokes are landing. Um, I don't know how it went. And in a way it's kind of nice because I can just imagine that they were all peeing themselves laughing the entire time. Right, yeah. <laughs> just like, oh yeah, okay, this is, this is great. Everyone's so happy and you don't have to worry about bombing or, or anything like that. So I don't know how it went. It did kind of take some pressure off. I did feel less nervous for that one than I have for, for others because I'm like, I don't know if you guys are laughing. If you're not laughing, I'm just going to pretend you liked right. my joke about <laughs> and I spelt my name T-R-I-C-H and then found out that that's a short form for an S-T-I. Um, I was just watching that video. <laughs> um, dome, yoga, and, and farts, and and... Oh yeah, I, I did do a fart joke. I always think you should stay away from fart jokes. Um, but I, I couldn't help myself because I saw that dome yoga is now a thing. So they're giving you your own right. dome. But yoga is known for making people fart. And, uh, but I admitted, yeah, I don't, like I, I know it's not the funniest, but I do still kind of find farts funny. 
Anyways, there was a whole other joke. I in <laughs> a Dutch oven scenario and writing him a letter. Um, anyways, it's a, yeah, I, I don't know how it went, but um, it's better off that way. Yeah. So how would you describe your comedy? Because I find, you know, especially with uh, women comics that I really enjoy, like, the, um, you know, uh, Taylor Tomlinson, which I just watched her special at the beginning of quarantine, or or Ali Wong, or you know all all, all these great female Whitney Cummings. Um, you know, I I think there's no doubt about it. It's harder to break in as a female comic because there's already an expectation, especially from men, that you know, like, oh, women aren't funny. You have to prove to me you're funny instead of just going in with an expectation that you have to laugh. How would you describe your your comedy? And do you? Do you feel there's a pressure that you have to, I don't know, talk really dirty or or swear maybe a little bit more or or like you said, the fart jokes to try to, you know, to have that expectation to to man that I am funny and you know that there's that pressure. I have one rule with my comedy, and it kind of comes from it just meshes with my morals and values. And I don't want to be put in a position where I can make fun of people and not make fun of myself. So I want it to be very self-deprecating. Um, I don't want to insult other people. And that's mm. kind of, I'm, I like to lift people up and I want to make people laugh. So my little general rule I think about when I'm writing is always make fun of yourself. So it's more situational comedy that I do in a lot of my scripts as well. And it's just kind of making fun of everyday situations, but it's mostly making fun of myself and things I got up to and hoping that others can relate to it. So it's not um, hurting any, anybody else. Like I don't want to hurt people with my comedy. I just want to make them laugh. So that's always kind of like my underlying thing. And then my very first show I did, I said a lot of F bombs and I don't know why they just mm. came out because I was so nervous and after that, I looked back and I thought, okay, I think I was just thought that that's what you do when you get up and do stand-up comedy. So all these F-bombs yeah. came out and I thought, okay, slow down on those. So I don't really swear in my comedy and um, I, oh, and I've been doing some shows with this electric comedy night. It's held in um, Los Angeles normally, but the great thing about isolation is I've gotten to be a part of these online shows in LA, whereas normally I'd have to take a trip down there to, to perform there. Um, and, uh, oh, and Val, who runs it, Electric Comedy Night, said to me that she enjoys my comedy when it's a bit more clean, because I had sent her a few different clips, and I thought, she's right. It's, that's kind of more my jam, being mm. that kind of awkward, 30 some year old woman who's a little bit like a Larry David in some situations who gets into, you know, weird situations with my mom or whatever it might be. Uh, this week I had, it was really cold in my hometown and rainy and I went for a walk and my sock fell down in my boot. So I made that into a bit, a bit about, you know, how it's the worst thing that could ever possibly happen to you. Also weird that I'm in my thirties and this is happening to me because most people can't say their boot or their sock has fallen down in their boots since they were like five years old. So it's a lot of stuff just making fun of myself. And then I, th I talk a lot about dating. Um, mm -hmm. And then I brought it into like writing a letter to an ex 
about how I wish you a lifetime of your sock falling down in your boot because that is like the absolute biggest form of torture. Um, so yeah, it's just all very situational. Right. I must, uh, dating in, in Sault Ste. Marie, um, that must be quite interesting. I've never been up there, but, um, yeah. you know, it's funny, uh, like I was saying, I have a background in radio and it's funny how much dating stories or jokes or, you know, mishaps or bad dates, how much that lands with people, how we all experience it. It's, it, it I don't know how that, that's a common link between all of us. We've all had bad dates. I agree. I really think it is. Everyone's had bad dating stories, or even if they're married, they have stories from before they were married, or they had stories about being married. Um, I also did start a podcast during isolation called Your Dating Stories, and people okay. write in their dating stories, and then I just narrate them on the air because I find it so funny. And something like you said, that really does connect us all. So that's something I do touch on a lot in my comedy. I said I didn't make fun of people, but I kind of am stretching the truth there. I do make fun of some exes, but I mostly make fun of myself as well. And um, yeah, dating in the Sioux, I'm, I've spent a lot of time over, over the last decade in Toronto, and it's actually kind of better in the Sioux. I've been mm. dating someone here, and I feel like it's going a lot better than the Toronto relationships because we don't have to travel two hours in traffic to see one another. Right. So it really takes a lot of the stress off. I could, I could get used to dating in Sault Ste. Marie. And to, um, <laughs> going back to some of the, what are, like, do you get a lot of good stories? Like what are, I don't know if some come to mind, but really funny or like really bad dates. Oh, one of the worst dates I went on. Um, yeah, this guy was really, really hyper and really bizarre. And he was telling me that it's his goal in life to make $36.5 million and that he would do anything to make that money. He's, he was not afraid to lie to anyone. Basically, he, it was his goal to make $36.5 million and he would do whatever it took to get that money and he doesn't feel guilty about lying to people's faces or mm. trying to get what he wants and lying to get there. And he's telling me this on the first date. And then he was the one who suggested a really fancy restaurant. He said, you really could use a fancy meal and I could use a fancy meal. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty, you know, frugal. So I'm like, usually I go out for fancy meals when my dad comes to visit and that's about it. So um, I was like, yeah, okay, you got me there with the meal thing. Is it that obvious? So I went and then he told me that he, after telling me all about the $36.5 million and being a massive liar, he said that he washed his wallet and could not pay for, for the dinner, which is fine. I'm all for equal opportunity and paying, but don't say it's because you what? Like if you washed your wallet, I'm, I'm going to test it. I'm sure your cards still work. Come right. On. Oh, that's so, that as a, a guy, one. as a guy, like you see that stuff in movies, but like, cause I mean, I don't date men <laughs> or shitty men. Um, you know, so you, you hear, I hear those stories from, you know, women or my friends and stuff. And I'm always like, as a guy, I'm like, really? Like, I always thought it was like something in the movies, like something you see, like, uh, you know, in, in an Amy Schumer movie or like some bad rom-com. Oh, I can assure you that 
these things happen in real life. I've had so many weird dating experiences. I, even my mom has weird dating experiences and I didn't really think she dated much before getting married. Um, but she told me a story from my podcast and I was like, really? That <laughs> happened? Okay. So yeah, it's definitely something that connects us all. And I have had my fair share of really weird dates. Uh, the worst I ever had was literally she just didn't really talk. And like, so I don't oh. even have anything to share. I just would be like, try to ask all these questions and I'd get like one word answers. I'm like, why did you say yes? I don't understand. Right. That's actually a common thing I hear amongst my guy friends. They say the worst date they've been on is one where um, the person didn't talk and well, they won't have that problem with me. So I guess I'm doing something <laughs> right. Although I have a feeling maybe I talk too much. And that's, I dated a guy who didn't talk and that was definitely an issue. Yeah. I think that's common, you know, communication. It's, it's everything, especially when you are, this is our field. Like you're in radio yeah. and casting and you know, this is what we do. We talk, we talk right. a lot. Come on people. You gotta talk. Yeah. My last relationship, um, our first date, like we pretty much talked about every taboo subject that you, you shouldn't be talking about on a first date whether it was yeah. past relationships or sexual conquests or wow. <laughs> intimate details, but because <laughs> we were both doing it, it was, it was great. Cause like we just endless talking instead of like, Oh, can I, can I bring this up? So I now like moving forward in my life, I'm just like, you know what? Like I want an overshare. I want someone who just will say anything cause it doesn't really bother me. Um, and yeah, I'm pretty much the same way. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's better that way. We've all dated before. So yeah, I love sharing stories and, and not necessarily all dating stories, but, um, I do find that my relationships that work out better are the ones where I feel like I'm uncomfortable to tell them a lot of stories about my life and about the past and just, you know, where I feel like very, very comfortable sharing things. The one yeah. thing the person I'm seeing now, um, we don't agree on so far is country music. Mm. But I think we can get past that. He, so he doesn't like country music and, and you do like country music. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I told him I even want to be, it's my dream to be a country singer, but I'm just not, not so musically inclined. So now I'm trying to learn how to play the keyboard. I think I mentioned that yeah. to you. Yeah. Yeah recording yet but that's uh um yeah that's a goal so we'll see we'll see how that goes i don't think it's a deal breaker i feel like that's a very easy thing to work around yeah I'm, i mean i'm not the biggest fan of country music either but i can appreciate what it, it offers to people um i just watched the garth brooks documentary on netflix oh, and uh yeah and you know i'm well, a I'm, I'm a child of the 90s. I was quite young. but um, So you know who Garth Brooks is. But then when you understand how, like, how big he was, and you're like, yeah. like you know, Sally, he had like 750,000 people in, in um, Central Park turn up to what? see him. And you're like, what? holy shit. <laughs> wow. That is impressive. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's the... And of course, he sang friends in low places. And I don't care who you are. If you do not like country music, you cannot 
not sing along to that song when it comes on. I mean, even if you don't like country music, I think it's just one of those songs that comes on in the bar. You know, everyone just, everyone's singing and dancing and... Exactly. Yeah. You, can't, you can't not not sing along. Can't not, can't not. I'm like using a lot of, I'm not a writer. I don't know how to use English. Um, not not, can't not. You know what I mean, Yeah. Right? Well, I'm speaking, I'm super interested in, in your writing process because that's something you know, I've never, you hear about a lot of people talk about uh, like big people when you listen to like Joe Rogan or, and whether it's comedy, like I'm just, I'm interested in, in the process and, and, you know, um, so you, you have something happen to you. How do you develop that into like a funny story that you, like, do you just tell it word for word or do you really kind of try to dissect it and you'll like try to write out a joke and, and, crumple up the paper, throw it away and try again, you know, like what is, what is that process of, of tell, whether you're turning it into a, a script or a web series or, or whatever? That's a good question. I used to work at a modeling agency and I wrote a web, a comedy web series about that. And I kind of forgot about it. And then I found it on my computer recently and a lot of the situations, so it wasn't a lot of situational comedy, so a lot of the situations that happened to the character, the lead character, who I wrote after myself, did happen. Um, but the way I end up retelling it seems a little bit more... <laughs> I cut out the boring stuff, and I just keep the kind of tragic stuff. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of... I think I just... I don't know, I start writing and it flows, but then I've had, sometimes I've had people look over my scripts. Um, you know, if a producer brings me in and they wanna, they're interested in one, they might tell me like the structure is off and you need to do this. So sometimes I do write, if it's a specific thing, I kind of look at structure. There's a great book called Save the Cat and that's what a lot of people, um, they, it's our a writer's book and there's supposed mm -hmm. to be like a certain structure you use for this or that or if i'm writing something that's you know a heartfelt christmas movie i will look at the beats of the popular christmas movies out there and get a script i get a lot of um i do audition quite a bit surprisingly because i don't book that much as an actor um but i get the auditions so you get the scripts and you can kind of go through them Mm. and write down, okay, on this page, this is supposed to happen, because there is a structure you're supposed to use for, for um, whether it be horror or, you know, a Christmas movie or a comedy. Um, so it's good to look at that for structure, but I also like to kind of write from the heart. So it's fun to write things like web series because there's no outline structure of how it should be. It's kind of more experimental. Right. So for that one about the modeling agency, I never did make it, but it's, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it, to me, I, I just write what I know, but I kind of see it in my head in a way that's more of a, you know, and, uh, that's more entertaining than how it happened when I was right. a little more exaggerated and yeah, and there's some really great script softwares out there are script programs that you can get on your cell phone or on your computer and some of them you get free trials so you just keep signing in with a different email address and then saving your work downloading it um so even if you can't put a you know shell over the money for the for the programs you can just kind of google what's the best program to write a script on 
and they really do help you with the structure. And I feel like it's, it's not as, it's not intimidating. Just, just right. take a whirl at it. If you've, if you've always wanted to write. Right. And it's, you can always improve that and you can get mentors and, you know, take their notes, but always trust your gut. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm interested. So, you know, when you think of a structure, um, that immediately makes me think of like the rom-com where, you know, it, it goes through, she has bad dates or something and then she meets the guy and then, you know, they're really great, but then something happens and then they fight and split up, but then they end up back together in the end. Right. Like that's kind of like the, the rising yeah. arc story. But yes. You know, so I, I assume just quickly that that's kind of what, when you're pitching things, like that's what people are looking for. Not necessarily just the rom-com, but like that, that cookie cutter cliche kind of structure. Yes. And when you're pitching to networks, they'll usually try to, so if they option a show that you've developed, you, what they want to see is either footage of something you've shot, you know, a little trailer and sometimes that can help or hurt you because they might, if it turns out badly, they might not want to option it, but um, you definitely need a pitch document. So you have like your one pager summing up what the show's about and then a document that goes through the characters, the summary, the season arc, the tone, um, a couple shows you could compare it to that it's kind of a, a mix of. So you definitely always want to okay. say it's a mix of like Friends and Seinfeld. If it's comedy, just pick the most popular. Just kidding. Um, but <laughs> yeah, you want to put kind of two shows that it's similar to and yeah, who the creators are, their bios. Um, and then season arcs. You might want to give a little summary of what would happen in the pilot and then what would happen in the first right. season and then what could happen in subsequent seasons so they know that it has longevity. So you put this together in a little document and sometimes they'll option a show just based on that, but then what they want to do usually is hire a, um, attach a showrunner to your show. So somebody who has worked on TV shows as a head writer for years, and then that person would kind of manage it and mm. make sure that structurally everything was going the way that the the network wants it to go. And then you'd work closely with the, with the network and kind of develop things. And then after that goes on, they can send you a nice email and say, it was great working with you. We're no longer going to continue this. We're going to, um, but if you have something that's a thriller, we would love for you to send that our way. We're, mm. we're moving away from comedy now, or they'll give you, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, feedback. So I know a lot of creators have gone through this process quite a bit before their show has made it to the air and many shows never make it to the air. Um, so that's uh, also a thing. <laughs> yeah. What I'm interested in about this process and, and you know, talking about networks and, and, and no disrespect to my colleagues in, in my company that works for the TV network. Um, but something I talk about on the podcast a lot is authenticity. And we don't talk about it in, in this sense a lot, but like on, on podcasts or YouTube creators or people on social media that like, everyone always follows this, this formula that seems to set out and, and, and works. And I'm not going to deny that it works and it makes money and, and all that. But when you think about truly unique ideas, um, so, you know, Christopher Nolan comes to mind, at least in, in the entertainment business, that he seems to be able to create really more unique ideas than, than a lot of other creators or, or more Martin Scorsese. So, blah, blah, blah. You can tell I talk in radio, but you know who I mean. Um, 
do you, I don't know if you have an opinion on it, but do you think there is kind of like, if you truly want to be authentic and, and come up with a creative idea that like there, there are a lot of roadblocks to, to really yeah. coming up with something unique and, and true that no one's really seen before? I do think so because, you know, I can just speak from my own personal experience and to be someone like a Tarantino or someone who's right. so wildly themselves and so has such a unique brain it's what we love about them the people who who love their work it's what they appreciate about them but like you said there's so many roadblocks to get there and to be your authentic self and i know it doesn't just because you remain authentic doesn't mean you're going to get things made and it could be for that reason so with a certain script that i wrote a feature film last year i went into a production company who you know, they brought me in and they wanted to look at it, but this, they said the structure is, you know, this isn't the usual structure of this type of film. And so I know that if you're, you do try to, when you do try to step outside of the box and say, you know what, for this one, F it, I'm not following structure. I'm just going to write from the heart. It's a little bit more risky for people to give you the funding yeah. because they don't know if what you've done X, Y, and Z will make money, but they know ABC will make money. So they do tend to, yeah, it is about making money. So it is, people do like to go with the safe bet a lot of the times. I know that that's, that's a thing. There's like the risk and reward. Mm -hmm. There's kind of like a risk analysis, I'm sure. And they're like, well, that's, yeah, that's a little uh, different. Yeah. And that's something we're looking to invest in. So, yeah. um, I was listening to your episode with Kevin L. Johnson from yeah. Ozark. I feel really flattered to be on this show after him. <laughs> I always said I want to work with Jason Bateman. So now I'm like, am I three Bacons away from Jason Bateman now? Yeah. Well, shout out to Peter, um, who, yeah, who, who got us together and, and with Kevin because, um, you know, I don't know what came over him and all of his generosity, but, you know, giving me the opportunity to, to speak with people who have a larger platform. Um, something I've always wanted to do with the podcast is, is bring real conversations in because I, you know, working in traditional media, it's not that you can't talk about whatever you want to talk about, but there's definitely yeah. safeguards. And, yes. and, and the one thing that I really dislike about, you know, talking about, you know, traditional media is, is the time restrictions, right? It's like, I, I bring yeah. you on, I'm like, hey, you got three minutes. So give me your best stuff and make me like you. And then you're just like, ah, try to, you and know. You become so promoting and you're like, I'm doing this, 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 yeah. this, this, this. <sighs> exactly. And then like, but really like people are like, it, it just like brushes over them, right? So like, I yeah. always just wanted to really get to know people and, and give yeah. them an opportunity to, say how they feel on, on certain subjects and, and really, you know, have people walking away being like, okay, I know this person or I, I've learned something, which is not yeah. often you get in, in traditional media, right? It has to be funny, entertaining, quick, or, you, or it just moves on and you get lost in the cycle. So. Um, yeah, that's what I felt about listening to his and why I brought it up because we we're talking about the roadblocks. And one of the things I loved the most about that episode was that he didn't just discuss his success because now the world sees him as this successful actor who's in yeah. this huge show. Um, 
And he talked about even the, you know, the theater productions that he auditioned for that he didn't get because of a, so like dancing wasn't, so there's, I feel like it's really important to talk about the, the hardships and there are so many of them, whether it be, you know, for writers, actors, I think anyone in any business, basically, there's, there's definitely a lot of roadblocks and there's no, there's no handbook when you get into this business that says, this is what you have to do and this is how you'll arrive here. Mm -hmm. There's so many other factors involved or like a lot of the times you're cast in something, then you think this could be a big break for me and then a lot of your scenes are cut. Um, so you just really feel like it's sometimes two steps for forward, eight steps back. And so you really have to just, I guess, enjoy it and love what you're doing. Um, but there certainly are a lot of, are a lot of roadblocks. Yeah, and that was something from, uh you know, someone who's outside of that industry, I had no idea that like you could do all these scenes and they would just cut them. And then like, you're watching the movie, you're like, oh, guess I didn't make it. I'm like, like to me, like, that blew my mind. And they don't tell you. Well, sometimes they will, because if it's a TV series, casting will say, okay, we can bring you in for another role. I know that's happened to, I think a friend of mine had casting reach out and say, you can audition for the show again because your scene didn't make it. Um, I was in a show where I had a few scenes and you know, they messaged me and they said like, we loved your scenes, we loved your work more than once. And then I watched it and two tiny, tiny scenes made it out of the few, like what, five maybe it was. Um, so even if they tell you, you don't know till it screens. So yeah, even if you talk to them, they say, we loved your work, like you were awesome then you see it, you're like, oh, okay. It's, you know, I'm not so much in there like I thought I was gonna be. Um, but even directing, I directed a short film this past year, Milk, it's a, a love story. I wanted to do something different from comedy. So it's a little bit of a tragic idea. And it's an idea I had with a friend of mine before he passed away, we were writing a feature mm. film together. And um, we said, okay, let's do a short in the meantime. And then we thought, let's do this little tragedy. Um, and then, so after he passed away, I thought, okay, I have to make the feature film and I have to make the short film that we talked about. So then I sat down and we had never written the short film. We just talked about it. So I sat down and wrote the script and then I filmed it and um, it was starring Bobby Del Rio and myself. And when I was going through the edit, there are some scenes where I, as the director, cut out, um, not because I didn't like anyone's acting, but if it's not necessary for the story to go forward, you just cut mm -hmm. it sometimes. And I think it's just a timing thing. And um, it really, that kind of opened my eyes because it's hard to not take it personally sometimes or think like, ooh, did I, you know, shat the bed. Right. Um, <laughs> And then you realize when you're doing it, you're like, there's nothing against this, you know, this, it's just, yeah, it's not about, I guess it's our ego that kind of takes right. over actors. And we're like, what did I do wrong? Right. Hey, do I suck? Am <laughs> I terrible? But it's not about you. It's like about the overall story. So right. yeah, directing has been a really good, um, that's, that was a, a good lesson for me. And, um, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was interesting to, so like when I saw he got like Kevin got um, credited for being on prisoners, I was like, I love that movie. I want to talk to him about it. And then he's like, Oh yeah. Like I was in it. I was there for a day and then they cut the scene. I was like, Oh, and then I, I saw when I, you know, doing my research and prep that you were on um, umbrella Academy as, as a, you were credited as a swimmer and I really yeah, loved the show. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. I don't see anything or anything in that one. That one was pretty much like, an extra thing, but that's one of the things that people um, have messaged me about the, the most. And I think somehow it, yeah, it got added and um, by someone, cause someone was sending, like people were sending me photos from kind of all over. People I had met at film festivals um, over the years and stuff like, hey, congrats on your role. Wow, you're in Umbrella Academy. Look at this and sending me screenshots of it. So then I went and watched it. Um, and it was the opening scene. So I think it was kind of noticeable. But sometimes, I guess you, yeah, you're not really expecting it. Because to me, I'm like, well, I'm not saying anything. But um, there was a baby being born and you're reacting. So then they used some of my close up reactions. And um, that's yeah, I wasn't expecting that. And mm -hmm. then there's like today I watched the film Hammer that came out in the US last week and has been getting really great reviews. Um, Roger Ebert gave it a really great review and it was in the Hollywood Reporter and they, you know, someone sent me that and I got a little name mention and I thought, oh, that's really cool. Um, and I'm in the opening scene of that. And in that one, I say a few lines, um, but my face is not in focus because it's about the main character. So it's funny how, you know, I probably, you, yeah, you end up, you do things and you just never know what the final, you never know what, if you're going to be in it. Um, so when they sent me the film, it's, uh, it's always nice to see that your part did end up in it, but sometimes you might not be in focus. You know, if you're playing a small throwaway character, that's, not there. You're you're not. The story isn't about you. So, um, yeah, you just never know to what degree you're going to you're going to um, be in it. And if you're not a producer on the on the film, like if you're acting and producing, you'll look back at the the footage or um, watch it on the monitor right after. The, you'll watch the playbacks after your scenes. Um, if you're stepping onto someone else's set as an actor for one day, you're not doing that. So you don't really know what they're, exactly what they're capturing of you on camera. But you still yeah. wanna promote it and get excited yeah. about it. And um, yeah, so it's always, it's always a nice little surprise when it releases to see if you're in it, to what degree. Um, and then there's like, I did this show years ago, like a reenactment horror. I was being haunted and I'm like in my house and this ghost is after me and then it's like scratching my feet and then I'm like brushing my hair and I see scratches on my arm. And then late at night, it's making like growling noises. And um, that show is the one that people constantly send me screen grabs of like, hey, I'm watching this show on Netflix. Oh my gosh, is this you? And it's like years later and that's one that I didn't know was going to be on Netflix when we, when we shot it. So now, it's it's something that people message me about probably the most, which is not what I had expected. So <laughs> Just it's a, it's a nice little surprise 
being an actor, you just never know. Which is the most, yeah, the, from these two conversations is the most mind-blowing thing to me that you just find out, like with the rest of us. You're like, oh, hey, I'm in the show. This like, is great. Cool, I am in this. Or I'm not really in this. Or, oh, it's so disappointing that those scenes got cut because I loved that outfit in that scene and now it'll never be seen. Oh. <laughs> or, or whatever. Or like, hey, that was a really cool scene and I really connected with that actor and I thought that was my Oscar performance. Yes, God. <laughs> um, did you always know this is something that you you wanted to pursue? Um, or did it kind of just, you know, when I was talking to Kevin, he just kind of fell into it? Um, like That... Ooh, I did not, definitely didn't fall into it because although things do come full circle. So um, I definitely sought after it, but I waited a long time to do it because I was afraid. Mm. I didn't know how to get into it. I never thought I would be someone who would live in Toronto. I thought it was way too big or let alone like no people in LA and go and visit there. Like I was not a city person. Um, so I just kind of thought, I remember I went to a psychic when I was 18 and she was like, you have to be in film. You must be in film. You must be on screen and behind the camera. And that is what you must do with your life. And you have to quit everything else right now and just do it because this is your destiny. And I was like, that's weird because I always thought it would be really cool to be a TV actor. Like from the time I was probably 12, 13, but it was kind of something I kept inside. So I'm like, interesting that she said that. And I think I actually said to her, I'm from Sault Ste. Marie. There's no way I can ever be in film. I'm not planning on ever moving to a big city. So not going to happen. And she's like, you can and you will. And then um, a few years later, they created this Northern Heritage Fund in my, um, in my region, in, in our region in Canada. And um, a lot of movies started filming here and this whole funding source, this government funding came up to try to boost the economy and, and have people film make here in Northern Ontario. So a lot of films started coming here. So I was working in a coffee shop that my dad owned and um, I just happened to be managing it and had just moved back from Ottawa because I worked there with children with autism and just kind of felt homesick, moved back home, and then was managing this coffee shop. And a director walked in and asked if they could shoot at that at our coffee shop. So I connected the director and the first assistant director with my dad. And they ended up shooting part of the film there using one of his vehicles in the film and I think some of his land. And then he said, well, there's one condition. You have to put my daughter in your film. So I was a soldier in the film for about a week. And now I didn't realize how small the film business is because now a lot of the lead roles that I'm going out for, auditioning for, in some really cool projects, that same director is directing these and is now bringing mm. me in for auditions um, for these roles. I would really love to get, and I would love to work with him again because he's, such a fantastic person and he's been to my family dinners up here in Sault Ste. Marie and got to know my family a bit while he was shooting here years ago. But I'm not getting those auditions with him because my dad lent him that stuff. It's, I sought out the film industry after that because of that situation 
in the Sioux, and it's something that I always wanted to do. So then I moved down to Toronto, took classes, um, and it's taken a lot of years to get into the position now where I'm auditioning for these lead roles for uh, TV series and films. And small world, it happens to be, you know, this director who was here in my hometown about a decade ago shooting, who's uh -huh. directing a lot of these, um, these projects. So it's, it's something I, I went after, but I didn't, I don't know how I, I was always afraid of it. And then I guess when it, when films started coming here and I got it, I got a chance to get my feet wet. I thought, okay, I have to go to Toronto and do this. I can't deny it. And then spent the last seven, eight years there going back and forth between here and there. And now I've started my own production company up here. A year ago, we filmed here, um, not under my production company, but I had a really good experience. And then I, I thought, yeah, I need to, my producing partner at uh, the company I opened, 180 Sisterhood Productions, and I have been applying for that NOHFC. Um, and we've been service producing films over the past year, getting those ready to go and ready to shoot when we can for you know producers out of Toronto and LA who we're teaming up with and we're bringing that business back up here to the Sioux. So now it's been a really great, um, I think I had to go away to gain the experience to come back here as a producer, but now mm -hmm. I'm back home as a producer and hoping to bring quite a few productions here, hoping to get a film mm -hmm. studio going up here and just hoping to bring a lot of jobs to the Northern filmmakers and creators that are up here. That's interesting. So you really kind of adapted as you went and tried to like fit your, I guess, you know, see, see a need, fill a need type idea. And, and it's interesting that you're bringing it back up North because like, that's not really an area you would think that a lot of people would want to go to, to film things. I, like, I'm not very familiar, but I know a lot of people film in Vancouver and Toronto. That's, like, that's kind of it. But like circling back to that conversation with Kevin and we were talking about how, you know, Atlanta and Georgia and like that kind of area has now been expanding in, in the TV and film industry. Is that sort of what your, your goal is to try to like get out of the city and like come explore? I've never been up there, but I imagine like the, the scenery is absolutely beautiful up there and, and there's a lot of opportunity. It's stunning. And Letter Kenny shoots up here. It's very popular comedy. A lot of you have listening have, I'm sure, been following and, and have watched and are fans of. And um, there's, so there's quite a few projects now who have been shooting up here in Northern Ontario, who have gained funding from the NOHFC, right, okay. um, who have trained locals and hired locals. And I think it's been really great for the Northern community. Um, and it's really growing. And I think especially now with, I was talking to um, the city of Sault Ste. Marie and it sounds like more productions, there were already productions coming up here as well as my productions that I have planned to do here, but um, there are more coming up here than we're even going to come this year because uh, we're in 2021 or end of 2020 when we can shoot because of, of COVID and the social distancing. And they're starting to realize that, you know, going to somewhere, going to a place where there are trained film crew and film cast, um, but the 
the city is a lot more spread out. There's, you know, it's people don't have to commute um, to get to work. You know, they'd mm. hop in a car and be there in five minutes. So there's less exposure to the virus. And it's just kind of, it's, it's a, Sault Ste. Marie is appealing to even more people than ever as a place to shoot. And if, like, I, oh man, it's gorgeous here. I have the 180 Sisterhood, Rebecca and I have the 180 Sisterhood produ um, Productions Instagram going. And sometimes I'll post photos or we'll post photos of um, the Sioux area just because it's, I really want other people to see how gorgeous it is here. And there's so many things you can shoot here. We have horror films we plan to shoot here. We have um, a coming of age drama we want to shoot here that'll really highlight like the cliffs and there's pictographs and there's waterfalls and mm. cabins and we're surrounded by the five Great Lakes. So we have like Huron and Superior and, you know, we have some St. Mary's River, which is beautiful. There's the International Bridge going from Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario to Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. And my dad lives down on the water and there's ships just passing every day. It's, it's stunning. And I think being away from the Sioux and being in Toronto for so many years made me come back and appreciate this and realize how much filming potential is up here because of the willingness of people to allow you to film. Um, the permits are easier to obtain. There's just all this nature and, and, you know, it's just, it's gorgeous. And people here are really, you know, really down for having you film at their places or, <laughs> you know, in their restaurants and, and the local community community has been so great. So, um, it's definitely, definitely a great place to shoot. Right. And just the drive out to, the, like if we go to a cabin for a weekend, just the drive out there, it's like a half hour drive and you pass this waterfall and you pass there's these Robertson cliffs, or if you go a little bit further, there's pictographs on these, you know, it's just, it's absolutely a stunning, stunning city. And people here are willing to, willing to work and there's funding and um, yeah, it's not crowded. So I think there's so many great points about shooting mm -hmm. up here and I think more productions will come up here. Yeah, and it's funny, just before um, we started recording, I was just going through Twitter and I saw the Writers Guild of Canada um, put out a tweet that was the Ontario government just approved industry guidelines for a safe return. So I saw that. hopefully people yeah. will start getting back to, to work up there and, um, you know. I really hope so. I really am aching to get back to work. I landed a, um, a lead role in a comedy and it's set to shoot in Hamilton. So I'm waiting to see when we can, I've gotten some loose dates, some dates that they think we'll be shooting. Um, so I'm just waiting to find out the for sure, for sure dates and to see if we can go ahead this fall. But I am just dying to get back on set, especially as an, an actor, because that's literally a dream. It's so much yeah. fun. So especially on a comedy. So yeah, fingers <laughs> crossed and then of course, Rebecca and I have our productions. We're hoping to shoot as well here in Sault Ste. Marie. So I don't know. I think that that is a positive thing that they released that today and the agents have been sending it out to actors. And um, I think they're a little hopeful. I think everyone was a little bit, a little, I think everyone was really worried that this could be the end of our industry as we know it. Yeah. And um, I think it's very important to be safe, but they're, 
I, there's humans are very adaptable and it seems like there are these adaptions that we're going to be taking on that are doable and we're going to keep everyone safe and get back to work. Yeah, I agree. So. And especially when, you know, you go to, it's not like Sault Ste. Marie's like an isolated community from the rest of the world, but you know, when you're out of the city and, and away from kind of people living on top of each other, that it seems to be a lot safer. And I, I think I'm, other than Toronto, Canada is like pretty, we're doing pretty well right now. I mean, we're not Florida, who just had 9,000 cases uh, yesterday. So, um, <laughs> and they're already planning to get back to work and then opening more things up. So, and I think um, a, a lot of people there had been working kind of the whole time because they didn't get the same government assistance that we were given in Canada. So, there's yeah. been, yeah, it's, I'm sure. really, really proud of how. Like if you're not in one of the main, if you're not in Toronto, um, I think in this, in Sault Ste. Marie, the most, the highest the cases got to was 13 cases. And I mean, I'm sure there are people who aren't tested that could have it, but it seems like, and now I think there might be three confirmed cases. Um, and I know that's just confirmed cases, but it is. Yeah, it was pretty scary a few months ago thinking like this could, mm -hmm. yeah, get really bad or get like, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we were kind of, we were told to stay at home and that everything shut down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's it seems to be paying off because we, yeah. we in Ottawa have been hovering between like five and 10 cases daily. Um, so no, it's all, it's all good. Um, yeah. I did, you know, Speaking of how, you know, you, you were worried and people worried about the industry and, and everything like that, I did want to kind of like, you know, I like to give people um, kind of like a sense of hope and, and motivation. I'm um, listening to the podcast. Um, I, I'm really involved with mental health and everything. So it's something I always like to do. Was there yeah, a time? Awesome you're so candid about it on online. I think that's amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's it's a huge passion of mine. And um, aside from radio and the podcast, it's pretty much the big thing I do. Was there ever a time that you thought about maybe, you know, like you were just really down uh, about this, this whole industry that you weren't going to make it, that you really wanted to give up? Was there ever a point of that in your life? And if so, how did you manage to keep going and, and continue on this path to follow your dream? It's a really good question. There were so many times when I wanted to give up and now that I have a business partner and we've started a business, I feel like there's no, you know, there's now I'm like, okay, this is something I, I, I'm accepting that this is what I'm doing with my life rather than, I think it was so easy for so many years as an actor to put up that defense mechanism and say, I don't really care about this. I don't really like it. I can get, I'm going to give up and get a, a real job at any quote unquote real job at, at any time. I'm just doing this right now, but I'm, I'm going to quit. I don't even like it that much. <laughs> I don't even care about it that much. Um, so I think I did that a lot and have finally just accepted in the last year or two, Hey, this is what I am doing this is a valid job. And I think a lot of the times it's because people said like, oh, well, once you go through this phase, like then you'll get a real job. 
Um, but I've also realized that you can incorporate other jobs into, you know, you don't have to just be an actor. You can say, I'm running the production company with Rebecca and we're doing so many other things, applying for grants and we're learning a lot or we're experiencing, <coughs> experiencing a lot of, you know, the same things anyone running a business would experience. Um, but there have been so many times where I would just try to brush it off and act like I didn't really, I could give, give it, take it or take it or leave mm. it. And I think just accepting that this is what you want to do is really important and realizing that it is something that is a real business, even if people don't understand it or try to talk you out of it and to, you know, appreciate your accomplishments and don't brush them off and understand that it is really hard to even get auditions. Um, and there have been times when I wanted to quit, but I feel like every time that I said, okay, this is the last audition I'm ever going to go on, that would be the one I'd book. And then I'd be all excited about the industry again. So I feel like every time I've kind of been like, this is it, I'm quitting. As soon as this is done, I'm not doing this anymore. And then that's when, you know, you get a call to be a guest on eTalk or something. And you're like, okay, I guess this isn't the end. Like, pulls you um, back in. This is, yeah, yeah, I guess it's, so I think it's always just kind of been those moments where, and I've had a couple times where I, living in Toronto, I'd come back to the Sioux for a summer to spend time with my family. And I was like, okay, I'm just gonna, you know, I am going to stay and not work in film anymore. Um, but now I've realized you don't have to choose. I can be here and work in film. I can be anywhere and work in film. Um, you just have to sometimes take the reins and create those opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, I'm interested, um, just before I let you go, you know, you're active on social media. You're doing all these different things. Like, what is the stress like for you? Like, do you feel there's a stress that you have to be on all the time, that you have to be involved in all these different types of forms of media and entertainment to try to get your name out there? You know, like you have a podcast, you're doing podcasts and interviews. Like, how much does that really, like, take out of you? Do you, do you, are you able, I know I asked the question jokingly off the start, but like, are you able to find downtime to have like a life outside of all these different areas that you're, you're taking on? I think you have to set boundaries and that's something I'm learning to do. Whereas I used to drop every, everything. Um, if something work related came up, and now I'm learning to set boundaries or have a calendar and say, okay, you know, this weekend I'm doing some work on Saturday. So I'm going to leave Sunday free for a day of rest, a day of family, going on a date, um, and, or, or put away your phone after a certain time at night and think, you know what? Mm. Okay, if somebody can't reach me after 9 p.m. tonight, they can reach me tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. It's I think it's really important to set those boundaries and give yourself the time to, for me, working out is super important for my mental health. So it's about taking the time to go. And I like working out outside. So taking the time to schedule, you know, time for you where you can go bike riding or you can go running or you can go walk in nature with you know, a loved one or, you know, just having that time and taking 
vacation time when you need it. And um, I do feel like, yeah, I do feel like it can be very all encompassing. Um, but naturally, I was an introvert. And when I was young, I never thought I would do this until I was maybe a teenager. That's when I started dreaming about this. Um, but when I was young, under 13, it was my nightmare to think about speaking in front of people. And I was really shy and had a lot of anxiety. And I think I still had that in high school. Um, so just kind of put on a bit of a more tough or I guess like snobby exterior to try to just like hide the fact that I was really shy. Um, so because being an extrovert is something that's been a learned behavior for me, it's really exhausting. So I do need to take downtime to go and work out or to just have a night to myself where I read in my bedroom or um, some family time because yeah, I do find if I have like a lot of performances or um, many Zoom calls and that sort of thing, I need to take a day and just be like, okay, like today you just get to breathe. And, you know, yesterday I did a stand-up show and all day I was thinking, I don't, I don't feel energetic. I don't feel like putting that on. I don't feel like doing it. And um, it's because I'm not naturally this, you know, an extrovert. I'm also, and I'm naturally an introvert. So once I do it, I'm like, oh, that's fun. And then you get that energy and you get excited right before the show. So you, you do feel like doing it once you, because performing is, I don't know, I feel like it's a really great outlet. Um, but leading up to it, I get some anxiety sometimes. I think like, oh my gosh, I can't do it. I, I, like, I don't feel like doing that. I just want to curl up in a ball and read a book today. Why did I sign, sign myself up for this? But then you, the love for performing always does kind of, you know, I, it's like when you work out, you just get into a zone where you, you're like, I don't want to go to the gym, but you know you'll feel really good after you do it. So like five, 10 minutes into the workout, you hit that zone of like, ah, you start sweating and you're like, this feels good. I feel the same way with performing. Sometimes I'm like, why do I sign up for all these things and keep myself so busy? But then when I'm about to do it and I feel really good and after we're, and while I'm doing it, I feel good and after I feel good and I'm glad I did it, but it is, um, it can be draining. So yeah. it's good to, you know, just know the things that, know what things are important to you and what you don't want to sacrifice. So to me, I know, Biking is important to me, so that's something I'm doing and making sure I do almost every day to, um, to you know, keep healthy and happy. Yeah, and thank you for sharing that because I think it's so important that, you know, people understand um, someone like yourself who is seen like, you know, as like a celebrity, uh, an actor, like people with a bigger platform than, you know, people with day-to-day -day lives and, and, you know, working in the government, whatever, that, you know, you speak out on it because you experience, you know, the exact same things that, that I, I do, you know, um, even before podcasts, I'm like nervous. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to talk to somebody. Are they going to hate me? Am I going to screw it up? Um, <laughs> you know, like well, that type of thing. Yeah, that, even like calling a pizza place. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I wonder what they're going to say. Like, what am I going to say? How am I going to say it? What if I, what if I see the wrong thing? And then you just do it and you're like, Oh yeah, that was easy. Yeah, so true. <laughs> Um, thank you so much. I really appreciate all your time and, and so getting much. to know you a little bit. Where, where do you have any upcoming? I know you said you were going to be filming, but do you have any projects? Where can people follow you and, and see some of your stuff? You can follow me on Instagram at Trish Rainoni One. 
So it's spelled rain one and then there's a number one. Um, so I post a lot there. I try to, you know, keep posting day to day and Rebecca and I have an Instagram for our production company at 180 Sisterhood, or it might be at 180 Sisterhood Productions. I think that's it. But if you search at on Instagram at 180 Sisterhood, that'll come up and we'll hopefully be posting more about some upcoming projects now that it looks like we might be able to get back to work. And um, that's that's it. Yeah, anything I'm working on, I'll I'll post promo to Instagram. So the upcoming comedy that I'm going to be in, Pink is In, um, I posted a trailer to Instagram and uh, yeah, I'll always promote whatever, whatever I'm a part of on, on the Instagram page. Yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing some of those upcoming projects and uh, wishing okay. you the best of luck. Thank you so much. And same to you. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you. Really nice. Take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole.